lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Well, are you ready to get cozy? I hope so, because today's show is all about huga. It's a Danish cultural phenomenon and word that really has no English equivalent, but it generally describes the feeling of being cozy, comfortable, and at peace with the world. Experts believe the huga culture is the reason why Denmark is consistently rated the happiest country in the world. Over the past couple of years, huga has been popular with interior design, but Today, I'm going to make sure that some huga is added to your garden. Why? Because a little huga in the garden brings a lot of happiness. Just think for a second. What are some of the most cozy and comfy spots in your garden? Do you even have a cozy or comfy spot? Well, that's where we're going to start. Today, we're going to try to add even more huga into your garden with some practical examples and tips. Huga in the garden, that's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week, especially if you've just found the show. If you're a brand new listener, I want to say a special welcome to you. And if you're a returning listener, I'll say welcome back. And you know that I always like to say that I hope that you're listening to a bunch of gardening podcasts because it's such a great way to grow and learn. In fact, I found another really good one for you this week, and it's called The Urban Farm Podcast, and it's by Greg Peterson. And get this, he produces three episodes every single week, you guys. I am not kidding. He's got a great team of people to help him, and I really enjoy the show. Some of his recent episodes include Giannocles Caldwell of Fiola Farms in Southern Oregon, Hillary Kernery on beekeeping, and Colin McCrate on high-yield vegetables. All great episodes, great guests, great shows. Check it out. It's the Urban Farm Podcast. And then Botanical Brouhaha in their episode three, their brand new podcast, they feature Chloe Milligan. She's of Mud Urban Flowers, and she discusses the story behind the creation of mud with her business partner, Nick Priestley. He's the owner of Mood Flowers and Flower School Glasgow. They talk about how mud went from startup to thriving business in just a few short months. And they also talk about social media and the role social media has played in her flower business, as well as her plans to franchise mud. So if you're in the business, check that show out. That should be interesting to you. Anyway, keep listening to those gardening podcasts. And again, I'm so thankful that you're listening to the Still Growing Podcast as well. Just a reminder that the opportunity to work with me in the masterminds that I'm hosting starting in September is just about to come to a close. So if you're interested in that, being part of a mastermind with me at the helm, make sure you head on over to my website at sixfootmama.com. 
ftmama.com. That's the number six, ftmama.com. And then just click on the tab, work with me. I'd love to help you in one of my masterminds. So there are two different ones available. One is for bloggers, podcasters, writers, and content creators. And then the other is for industry professionals. So this would be landscape designers, greenhouse growers, or nursery owner operators that are looking to grow their business. So if you're interested, check it out. Just head over to my website, click on work with me for more information. I'd love to meet you in one of my groups. All right. I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for the show. This is a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show. These folks are made up of gardeners of all skill levels and locations, and you can find it easily on Facebook just by typing in the name of our group into the search bar. So the next time you're in Facebook, just search for the Still Growing Podcast Group, and the listener community will show up at the top of the search results on Facebook. There are a number of benefits that you can enjoy by joining the group. First, you'll have access to great garden articles that I curate for you. They'll just appear in your Facebook feed just by joining the group. In fact, one of the ways that you can make what you see on Facebook even more customized to your interests is to join groups that focus on topics you like. So if you want to see more helpful posts about gardening, then by all means, join the listener community for the show. Second, the Facebook group is the only place I go to pick lucky listeners for any show giveaways. So like last week, we gave away five copies of the book Potted. And the only place we went to pick those listeners is the Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. And then finally, you get a chance to interact with the great guests that have been on the show, like last week's guest, Karen Rexrode. She's a tremendous horticultural resource and leader, and I was absolutely delighted to get a chance to hear her give an encore presentation of her work on the Plant Explorers And then it's a true delight to have her in the group. And I'm hoping to get her to come back and share some of her other presentations because she has put together so much amazing content over the past 30 years. She is just a treasure trove of horticultural information. I love getting the chance to chat with Karen. So Karen, if you are listening, I have a standing invitation for you to come on the show anytime you want. You're absolutely welcome. And then finally, one other thing I should mention with regard to the group is that there's no spam in this group. The content that I share in the group is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you. Everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, it's free and it's easy to join. So the next time you're in Facebook, just head on over to the search bar, type in Still Growing Podcast Group, and then just request to join. Before I forget, let me welcome the following new members to our group. Veronica Seco, Helen Ingram, Naomi Goh, Gulam Shigri, Rosemary Delane, Bernadette Ward, Tim Everest, Bill Dozier, Joan Shulkers, Tracy Blevins of Plants Map, Ingela Lacey, Charlotte Hutt, Julia Overman, Stephanie Brown Cornell, Tanya Peel of the blog Plant and Shoot, and Alan Staley. Welcome, you guys. 
Well, this week in the group, listeners were sharing more beautiful pictures and videos of their gardens. Amy Walker Collier out of Louisa, Virginia, shared a picture of her gorgeous Russian mammoth sunflower that are finally opening. And that is a sight to behold. People loved this picture. And then listener Philip Busili commented that he loves sunflowers, and he even shared a picture of his variety, which is Pike's Peak, and they're both gorgeous. Kathleen Brown Bonafonte shared many beautiful images of the yellow swallowtail in her garden. And yellow was kind of a theme this week. In fact, Patricia Chandler Newport shared images from her garden and she said the color of the day is gold. And all of her pictures had this beautiful golden hue to them, whether it was the blooms and the flowers or even the tomatoes that she was harvesting. And Patricia also gave us an update on her harvest. She's been picking corn, beans, and cherry tomatoes, and she's even got some odd-shaped eggplant. And of course, Patricia has her own landscaping business, so she wrote, The flower garden is wild and chaotic. This is what happens when all you do is work in other people's gardens all day. I always say I will try to do better next year, but it never seems to happen. Anyone who's worked in this industry for any period of time can completely relate to that sentiment, Patricia. Listener Naomi Go shared beautiful pictures of her harvest, and she was actually picking out of her mom's garden. So much was growing there. It looked absolutely fabulous. And then she wrote, thanks for my green thumb, mom. I learned it from my mom. That's such a great legacy. Listener Laura Gonzalez shared these amazing pictures of her dahlia. Here's what she wrote. Loving some of the new dinner plate dahlias I grew this year. The peachy one is cafe au lait and the cream one came in a mix called bridal bouquet. And these are very impressive. And when you look at the picture, you can completely understand why they're called dinner plate dahlias. They are huge. They almost look like those crepe paper flowers that you make that are about the size of your hand. Just crazy. Danny Perkins shared some pictures of a gorgeous container. Actually, it's a pair of containers that he saw at a festival this past weekend. And so, of course, he took a picture. And I said, Danny, you're just like me. This is usually where I end up losing my family. When I see a gorgeous container on the street, I always stop and take a picture with my iPhone. And then my family just keeps walking. They used to stop and wait for me, but not anymore. So I wrote him and I said, Danny, this is usually where I end up losing my family. They all walk ahead of me while I'm happily snapping photos of planters. I just can't help myself. And I know that Danny can relate. Listener Chuck DeGarmo shared this amazing project he's working on. He finally began working on his home re-landscaping project. So it's Goodbye Lawn and Hello Cottage Garden. And I am so looking forward to seeing pictures of this transformation. Even with just the bones being put in right now, I think it looks fantastic. So Chuck, keep us updated. We're looking forward to seeing these pictures. Listener John Brian Silverio shared pictures of his garden and he said, okay, we have too much now for us to consume. How do you make it stop? Of course, he was saying that tongue in cheek, but he did plant way too many plum tomatoes. This is what he wrote. He said he really wanted cherry tomatoes, but it was a newbie mistake. 
In the meantime, he's giving extras to his friends or leaving them at his neighbor's front door and then running away. I love that plan, John. Great job. Listener Peter Langham shared a gorgeous fountain that he just added to his garden. It was his mother's, and it's a beautiful way to remember her. Really loved this. Listener Edgeworth Carter shared something he was trying with his English cucumbers. He was using a recipe from Real Simple, and it's called Almost Hands-Free Dill Pickles. And I wrote him and asked for a follow-up, and he shared a picture, and they turned out great. So if you're looking for a good pickle recipe, head on over to Real Simple and look for Almost Hands-Free Dill Pickles. Listener Lynn Davis shared her gorgeous lilies, and she wrote, It's worth killing red beetles to see and smell these. And then I didn't realize that red beetles were a problem with them. I've just never had that problem. And Lynn said, sadly, yes. A lot of people here have lost the battle and ended up pulling the lilies out, but she is winning through sheer perseverance. Lynn also shared this beautiful gladiola variety that she's growing. It's called Canada 150. They are glorious. And if you take a look at them, they're red and white, of course, echoing the Canadian flag. And they're just beautiful. Listener Ann Barklow shared a great post about folks visiting her garden. And she wrote this. This was encouraging. Our local master gardeners held a tour for our local residents at my garden. I discussed natives, pollinator gardens, monarch way stations, foodscaping, sustainability, and many design principles, including mulching with plants. It went an hour and a half longer than planned. People did not want to leave. I see big changes and happy pollinators in our neighborhood coming soon. That's a great idea, Anne. In fact, I wish I could have been there. Those are my kind of topics. There were a number of listener pests, problems, and questions this week. Danny Perkins asked, I need to move this milkweed. I understand it doesn't like being moved, but I must do it now or later in the fall. And the verdict is fall. So he's going to wait a little bit. And he said, that's fine because it's too hot now anyway. I share your sentiments, Danny. And then Philip Busili commented, anyone else growing monk's hood? Mine start out great every year, but then they get yellow and hardly bloom. Any suggestions as to what I'm doing wrong? Now, most listeners felt that this was a nutritional issue. And they encouraged Philip to fertilize. Patricia Chandler Newport advised top dressing with some good compost and or manure. And he could try a little fish emulsion as well. Listener Julie Nambier asked a great question. She showed this very fascinating photo of a wasp and said, does anyone know what kind of bug this is? I've never seen anything like it here in Colorado before. I found this guy in my herb garden. You can't see it in the photo, but it looks like he has a really long, thin stinger. Is it some kind of wasp? Well, and hats off to Julie because she was on the right track. It actually is a wasp. It's an Ichneumon wasp, and it's very freaky looking. They were created to look intimidating. In fact, Beth Engel chimed in, and she said, that's not a stinger. It's an ovipositor. It's how the insect lays its eggs. So it's quite fascinating. Go ahead and check that out the next time you have a little time to kill. Listener Trisha Ackerman shared her setup 
her bug house that she uses for caterpillars. That was a great share. And then listener Tanya Peel shared some problems that she's having with her tomato plants. And then Tracy Blevins of Plants Map chimed in with a great resource. It's from Texas A&M University. And the resource is called Disorders of Tomato Leaves. And it's a great key, a great tool to walk you through and diagnose the problem that's going on with your tomato plant. That's a great resource. Lastly, in listener love, a quick shout out to Christina Pybe, who just joined the listener community. She said, thank you for adding me. I've gotten some good tips of gardening from your podcasts and this group already. And I work in a cold climate. It's fun to be here. So welcome, Christina. And then Amy Walker Collier wrote that she was so excited she'd bought 21 perennials for $56 thanks to Craigslist and a sale at a garden center. That's a great deal. And a reminder to check out episode 554, where I share my tools and tactics to use Craigslist to shop for your garden. Then Amy wrote that she was also inspired by the Echinacea episode. Amy wrote that she loved the Echinacea episode and she was inspired to buy a Sombrero Echinacea yesterday. And she said, it's gorgeous. And I know it is because I saw it myself at my own nursery in town. So that's fantastic. And then listener Danny Perkins was also inspired. He shared a great find from his nursery. He found the Echinacea Big Kahuna from Terra Nova. And instead of being $18 a piece, he got his for $6 a piece. That's fantastic. And then finally, listener Rebecca Stoner Kurtz shared a beautiful cover of the latest Kentucky Gardener magazine. And it's her photo that made the cover of the September issue. And she wrote, I hope everyone enjoys the article. Jennifer, I mentioned your podcast, specifically the one on foodscaping. She really loved that idea. And of course, that was episode 569 featuring Bree Arthur, who wrote The Foodscape Revolution. And when you look on the cover of Kentucky Gardener Magazine, first of all, the bed that's featured, the picture of this garden bed is perfectly edged. And the title of it is called Living on the Edge, Tips for Borders That Are Controlled and Beautiful. Excellent job, Rebecca, and congrats on making that cover. Well, that's the update on the listener community this week. I just love our group on Facebook. It's so fun for me to be able to interact with you and then see your gardens. We get to share our passion for gardening, and I get to learn what you're curious about. I love that. So if you're interested in joining the listener community, don't be shy. Come hang out with us. It's so simple to be part of the group. The next time you're in Facebook, just type in Still Growing Podcast Group and then request to join and we'll admit you into the group and it's completely free. So check it out. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that you can listen to the show on your Amazon product. So if you have an Echo or an Echo Dot, any of those things that use Alexa, you can just ask to listen to the show. So let me demonstrate it one more time in case you're new to the program. This is what you would do. Alexa, play the Still Growing podcast. Getting the latest episode of Still Growing, a weekly gardening podcast. Here it is from TuneIn. Alexa, stop. It's just that easy. It's great when technology does what it's supposed to. 
Also, just a quick reminder that if you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can call the show at 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. I'd love to hear your voice. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. And it's made up of a dozen different segments, from updates on past guests to articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with. And that's called the Dream Guest Segment. I also cover news and information on special topic areas like sustainability and science. And then the other segments are really designed to honor the commitment of the show to helping you and your garden grow. And they are the how-to DIY segment, the continuing ed segment, the plant spotlight, shopping, recipes, inspiration, and quotables. Now, what's nice about this for you is that you can stay somewhat abreast of the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share all of it with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, there There's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head on over to the group and join. In the guest update segment, author Megan Kane of The Creative Vegetable Gardener shared a great post about fall spinach, and she wrote, Did you know that fall-planted spinach can live through the winters in Wisconsin and start producing again in the spring for eight months of harvest? It's amazing. I shared a photo timeline from my garden in Madison showing how it works. This is a great post for folks who are looking to extend their season. Past guest Lori Neverman of the blog Common Sense Homesteading shared a post called Damaged Crops, What to Do When Hail and Wind Damage Your Garden. This is a little bit of garden triage, perfect time of year for that kind of post. And then finally, past guest Deborah Madison of the book Vegetable Literacy is teaching a workshop on how to write a successful cookbook. This is taking place in Santa Fe, September 17th through the 21st. And I love Deborah so much, even if I wasn't writing a cookbook, I'd probably just go hang out with her. That sounds fantastic. In sustainability, I watched a very interesting video this past week, and it showed a gentleman by the name of Alan Brown demonstrating the process he takes to transform nettle plants into usable fiber for textiles. That was very fascinating. Also in sustainability this week was a great post by Marcy Lautanen-Raleigh. She blogs over at backyardpatch.blogspot.com, and the title of the article was called Flowering Herbs, What to Do with the Bolting Herb. And the key here is not to let bolting herbs paralyze you, because herbs bolt for everyone. So this article was very helpful. And then finally in sustainability was a post called An Annual Philosophy, and it was featured in Garden Rant. And I love how this post started out. Here's what it said. Certain plants exude a message of, don't worry, be happy. 
Others continually whine, maintain me. In my garden, the easiest plants I grow are the tropical or semi-tropicals. They require virtually nothing, much like their brethren in my office. Once in a while, I'll cut down a dead leaf from one of the colocasia or alocasia. But other than that, given the same watering schedule as the rest of my garden, my tropical plants, mainly elephant ear, but some bananas and others, provide wow factor from the time I plant them, bring them outdoors, to the time I compost them or bring them indoors. And then she writes this, Given their long seasons, all year if they're happy inside, I'm amazed that more gardeners don't use these plants. During the GWA conference a few days ago, reps from a Florida-based tropical plant nursery told me their conference presentation would largely focus on using tropicals as annuals if necessary in order to enjoy their long seasons of interest, even if the means to store them over the winter were not available. I thought that was a great point. We need to maybe change our perspective a little bit on these tropicals and semi-tropicals. In the continuing ed segment, Garden Betty shared a post called, Why I Don't Wash My Plant Pots and You Don't Need to Either. And when I shared this post with the listener community, everyone agreed, we don't wash our garden pots. So Garden Betty's not alone. However, Garden Betty did share another post, and it's called Leggy Seedlings, What Causes Them and How to Correct Them. This post had a super clever introduction, and I have to read this one to you as well. Here goes. If you'd like to give your seeds a head start on the season by sprouting them on a sunny windowsill, you may be wondering right about now, why are they so spindly and stretching to the sun? This isn't a catwalk, ladies. Leggy seedlings commonly occur with seeds started indoors. They have telltale, long, skinny stems and sparse sets of leaves, and if left uncorrected, the condition can weaken their stems, stunt their growth, or make them more susceptible to pests and diseases. They're also a little more challenging to harden off, and they're less likely to withstand wind and rain once they're in the ground. Well, this post goes on to discuss the constellation of things that can be causing this issue. Everything from insufficient light to too much heat or inconsistent moisture. She shares how to correct them. So whether you're adjusting the temperature or watering from the bottom up, there are a number of steps that you can take. This is a great reference post and that's why it made the continuing ed segment this week. In the how-to DIY segment, I shared a fun post from Timber Press, and it was called How to Make Lavender Wands. Lavender wands are also called lavender bottles, and they were fashioned in Victorian times for scenting drawers and cabinets. And they're making a comeback. So this was a fun post and a great DIY. Past guest Laura Eubanks shared a post showing one of her employees planting on a slope and I loved this picture because the slope is so severe that the gardener is actually laying on the ground, hanging on to the plant for dear life so he doesn't slide down the slope. And Laura wrote, FYI, potential clients, slopes cost extra. I'm sure they do. Designer Barbara Katz shared a map from the Delaware Botanic Gardens. 
And this post was super inspiring because it showed the garden map of the garden that Pete Odolf is designing for the Delaware Botanic Garden. And Barbara wrote, just two weeks before the first plants arrive for the first phase of the meadow in the mid-Atlantic region. How exciting is this? And I tell you what, if you're looking for inspiration on how to draw a garden map, this one's the gold standard. So check that out. In the plant spotlight this week is a plant that we featured last week, but then two listeners shared this post independently, and it's all about... Ambassador Allium. Listener Beth Engel, who's on the advisory board, and Danny Perkins both shared the same video of the Ambassador Allium from the Perennial Plant Association. It's so great, they shared it twice. And that one's on my list for next year as well. Also in the plant spotlight, Nature Hills Nursery shared a shrub known as the Bluebeard Shrub or the Blue Mist Spirea. It's one of the most underrated flowering shrubs out there, in their opinion. So ahoy there, Bluebeard Shrub, check it out. Another great plant that made the plant spotlight this week and that I saw in a number of posts on social media is the Pink Kisses Dianthus. That one is gorgeous. In the news, Laura Drotliff of Greenhouse Grower wrote a great post called Why Consumers May Be More Interested in Plants Than You Think. And I thought she had excellent commentary for growers in this post. And here's what she wrote. You don't have to be a large operation to run a successful event. What you do need is good organization, a product that consumers want to buy and learn more about, local artisans to help add to the experience, and good social media marketing. Support a local cause your customers care about. That will help too. Most of all, make it easy and fun. Great advice from Laura. And then finally in the news was probably my favorite post of the week, and it was called Lost Diamond Engagement Ring Surfaces Wrapped Around a Garden Carrot. And here's the story. When Mary Grahams lost her diamond engagement ring in the garden in 2004, she thought it was gone for good. But this week, it was found on a carrot plucked from the soil on the family farm. Now, Mary is 84, and she recalls losing the ring when she was weeding and she was pulling out this super large weed out of her garden. Now, her husband, Norm, had given her this ring in 1951 when they'd gotten engaged. And in the next year, they got married. So when she lost this ring, she could not bring herself to tell her husband. So she just quietly replaced the ring on her own, never said a word to him. Now, the farm where Mary had gardened has been in their family for over 100 years. It's a century farm. And thank goodness it had stayed in the family because her daughter-in-law was the one who found the carrot when she pulled it from the ground. And when she saw this carrot with a diamond ring wrapped around the outside of it, it kind of looks like it's corseting the carrot. She said, I knew it either had to belong to my grandmother or my mother-in-law because no other women have lived on this farm. 
So when she brought this ring into the house and showed her husband, he said, yeah, that's my mom's ring. And if you look at the picture of this diamond ring around the carrot, it looks like it grew perfectly around the ring. It's the most phenomenal picture. And as for Mary, sadly, her husband died five years ago, a month after their 60th wedding anniversary. But once she got the ring off the carrot, she put it on and guess what? It still fit. So she's thrilled to have it back. And when I shared this article in the listener community, I wrote this. After all this time, they're not sure of the ring's value, but I think we can all agree it's at least one carrot. Isn't that sweet? In the Dream Guest segment this week are two gentlemen from the Evening Star Cafe, Soil Master Jonathan Stark and Chef Keith Cabot. These gentlemen farm on the rooftop of their restaurant and they harvest produce every day for that night's service. Their rooftop garden started four years ago and it's a super inspiring story. And the other thing I shared at the end of this post is that the chef shares his recipe for sweet and sour eggplant. It's a variation which is currently being used in his duck dish. And every year, I have so many people asking me for eggplant recipes. I'm adding this one to my repertoire. So if you're interested in finding a new eggplant recipe, try this sweet and sour eggplant. And you can find it just by going into the listener community in the Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group, and typing in Chef Gardens. In Science This Week, Science Daily shared a key to drought-tolerant crops, and they think it might be in the leaves. This is from the University of Southern California, and the quote that was most interesting to me is this one, leaf wax acts as the equivalent of lip balm for plants, protecting them from the harmless effects of drought. That makes perfect sense. And then also in science is this phenomenon called crown shyness, where trees avoid touching. This colossal shared this post, and it shows this image of a tree canopy where the tops of the trees never intermingled, where the treetops leaved a perfect space between one canopy and their neighbor, almost like puzzle pieces, not quite touching. And I wrote, even though the phenomenon is called crown shyness, I prefer to call it canopy respect. There you go. But very interesting article. In shopping this week, my friend Jen Guinness of the blog Frau Zinni shared a product review of the Corona FlexDial Comfort Gel Bypass Pruners. And Jen and I both got one of these at the Garden Bloggers Fling. They were in our swag bags. And it's the one product that I've seen everyone consistently rave about. And I love it too. And Jen points out that this pruner offers a flex style, which adjusts the grip of the handles depending on a person's hand size. And then since the pruner is adjustable, it reduces the fatigue that you can experience with repetitive pruning. I love mine. In fact, I love it so much I hide it so that my kids or my student gardeners don't accidentally grab it and misplace it. So right now, it's my most favorite pruner. And you can find it on Amazon. Just look up Corona FlexDial. FlexDial is all one word. And you can get it on Prime for 18 bucks. 
great investment. And then also in shopping, I want to help you build your garden library by telling you about some of the authors that are coming on the show after my break next week. I've got Barbara Pleasant coming on. She's the author of Homegrown Pantry. It's by Story Publishing. And then there are a number of Timber Press authors coming on the show as well. So there's Jenny Rose Carey, the author of Glorious Shade. Karen Chapman and Christina Solwitz of Gardening with Foliage First, the mother of succulents, Deborah Lee Baldwin, the author of the book Designing with Succulents, and then happily for me, Marta McDowell, the author of All the President's Gardens, will be coming back on the show. Timber Press is just about to release her next book, and it's called The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Frontier Landscapes That Inspired the Little House Books. Timber Press sent me a pre-release copy of this book, and I absolutely love it. And I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to Marta again, as well as all of these other authors. This is going to make for a great fall lineup for the show, and I know you're going to love those conversations. There's so much to learn from these gals. These ladies are pros. So in the meantime, you can get ahead of things a little bit by going out and checking out these books and adding them to your garden library. An inspiration this week, the Cottage Notebook blog shared an interview with Hugh Cassidy. I follow Hugh on Twitter as well as the author of this post, and you can too. His handle is Horti underscore Hugo, and he has great insights into the gardening world. And Nadia wrote, this year I got all caught up in his Dahlia Wars and have followed the development of his Pottager garden with keen interest. I thought by chatting with Hugh, I could inspire some of you to get out into your garden this weekend. And she was right. This was a very inspiring post from a very passionate gardener. And here's the question and answer I found particularly inspiring. Here's Nadia's question. For someone who wants to start growing their own food, do you have any tips or advice? And here's what Hugh responded. Yes, I definitely do. Learning to grow your own food is a road to travel rather than a destination to reach. Along this road, each of us have amazing successes and dramatic failures. Build your resilience by celebrating the success and simply talk and discuss what didn't work with others so you'll learn for next time. For me, with some plants or crops, I've simply learned to fail better on my path to success. Start out on your journey with simple things like planting strawberries or lettuce in a tub, a few peas from seed, or trying some onions from sets. They're almost always a success. Tomatoes, potatoes, and raspberries are nearly always a success too. Of course, use good compost and look after the soil. If you look after the soil, the soil will look after the plants. Great advice. And then one of the last questions Nadia asked was, what does gardening mean to you? Hugh wrote, this is a great question, which I could write essays on, so I'll try to distill it down to a paragraph. There's a term I like to use now and again called gardenfulness. It's a play on the term mindfulness, bringing all of the elements of this to your garden environment, being present 
enjoying what you're doing, being in a flow state when working with soil and plants, allowing creativity to blossom, pun intended. At times, gardening means this to me. Other times, it's very practical aspects of growing your own food as naturally as possible, getting stuck in and doing what needs to be done. And I thought that one was perfect as well and totally appropriate for the topic of today's show on Huga. In recipes this week, Reformation Acres shared a medley of zucchini recipes. Zucchini is, of course, another harvest item where people are always looking for recipes. Anyway, this is an epic post from Reformation Acres. It shares over 100 recipes that she's compiled, and she breaks them down by dish. So she has main dishes, side dishes, breads and breakfast, and desserts. Oh, and then finally, preservation as well. So a super comprehensive post, a great reference article. Finally, in quotables this week, I picked quotes that either have Danish ties or relate in some way to the concept of huga or coziness. Here we go. The first is by Hans Christian Andersen. Life itself is the most wonderful fairy tale. Then this Danish proverb, fresh air keeps the doctor poor. Like that one. Here's one from L.M. Montgomery. I'd like to hear a storm at night. It is so cozy to snuggle down among the blankets and feel that it can't get at you. Here's another Danish proverb. Beauty without virtue is a rose without scent. Here's one by Sylvia Plath. I felt my lungs inflate with the onrush of scenery. I thought, this is what it is to be happy. Here's one from Nathaniel Parker Willis. There they stand, the innumerable stars, shining in order like a living hymn written in light. And then finally, this Scandinavian proverb, fear less, hope more, eat less, chew more, wine less, breathe more, talk less, say more, hate less, love more and all good things are yours. Well, that's it for the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, Huga in the Garden. Are you ready to get cozy? I hope so, because today's show is all about Huga. It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E, so it looks like you should pronounce it Heige, but the Danes pronounce it Huga, and it's a Danish cultural phenomenon and word that really has no English equivalent, so we sometimes struggle with it, but it generally describes the feeling of being cozy, comfortable, and at peace with the world. Experts believe the Huga culture is the reason why Denmark is consistently rated the happiest country in the world. In fact, when it comes to happiness, the Nordic countries all fare very 
very well, usually at the top of all of the lists. However, Denmark consistently performs the very best. They're at the top. And the Danes believe that Huga is the crucial ingredient. Over the past couple of years, Huga has been popular with interior design. But today, I'm going to make sure that some Huga is added to your garden. Why? Because a little Huga in the garden brings a lot of happiness. Just think for a second. What are some of the most cozy, comfy spots in your garden? Where are they located? Do you even have a cozy or comfy spot in your garden? That's where we're going to start today. We're going to look at adding even more huga into your garden with some practical examples and tips. Today's show is a combination of helpful tips for cozying up in the garden, recipes, and essential elements of living the Danish way, which actually includes a daily dose of healthy hedonism. It's time to get warm and comfy because today we're talking about huga in the garden. All right, let's get started and I'll give you a little bit of a roadmap so you know where we're going with this show today. I'll start out by talking about what is huga to try to get you comfortable with that term and quite familiar with it. Then we'll talk about the season of huga. I know the designers and decorators want us to think about huga all year long, but in Denmark, huga's a little more seasonal. And I think it makes sense, and you'll see why. Then finally, we'll walk through some of the core elements of huga and ways you can incorporate these elements into your garden. And then I'll wrap up with a list of some fantastic hugelig recipes. They're perfect for the upcoming seasons of fall and winter. And that'll be that. Once we're through all of those sections, you'll be ready to get your huga on. So let's get started with what is huga or the H word. When I first saw it, I thought this word was pronounced hygge. In fact, when I see the word, I still think that and I have to correct myself. And I found myself thinking of two things to help me say this word correctly. The first is when I was a little girl, my mom would give me an Eskimo kiss. We'd rub noses and she'd say, uga uga mushka. And so when I was first pronouncing huga, that's what I thought of. Uga uga mushka, huga, uga huga. And then the other thing I thought of was the song Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Suede. Because at my house, we're huge Guardians of the Galaxy fans. And the first volume of Guardians of the Galaxy starts out with Hooked on a Feeling and then those lyrics Uga chaka, uga, uga, uga chaka. <laughs> and so when I was thinking huga and trying to get myself to say it that way, that's what came to my mind. So we do what we got to do when we're learning these foreign terms, right? Now, phonetically, I've seen people spell this out who, like where, why, what, when, who, but then also hue, like the color hue, And I think it's really pick your poison. I've listened to some Danes saying the word huga on video on YouTube, and that's how I'm saying it, huga. So that's what I'm going to go with during today's episode. And I know if you're like me, you're already in your car or 
in your garden or on your run and you're saying this to yourself, huga, trying to get used to it. So don't worry about it. Trust me, after this episode, you'll be very comfortable with it. Now, you might be asking yourself, how popular is Huga, especially if you've never heard about it before? But trust me, it's growing in popularity. It's been a thing for about the past two years. In fact, if you do what I do when I first hear about something and search on social media, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, you will find there are almost... 3 million posts with the hashtag Huga. And if you look at the images, you're going to see things like candles, warm fires, coffee, nature, woolly socks, and hot chocolate. There are tons of images on Pinterest. The use of the hashtag Huga has increased exponentially since it was introduced back in 2015. And when I say introduced, I mean going mainstream outside of Denmark and out into the rest of the world. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary always has their competition for the word of the year and Huga was in the running. And Oxford Dictionary defined it as a Danish term defined as a quality of coziness and comfortable conviviality that engenders a feeling of contentment or well-being. Now, when you're in Denmark, you will hear huga being used as a verb to huga and as an adjective with the word hugelig. So you'd say the hugelig fire or the hugelig garden. So both verb huga and adjective hugelig. Last year, Huga was trending its way from Denmark to the United Kingdom and then on to the United States. And just in Pinterest alone, pinning Huga posts has nearly tripled year over year in the United States. So Huga is very hip right now. Now, in the United States, we use words like self-care or mindfulness And we talk about working really hard to make those things front and center in our lives. And in America, what we work hard to do, the self-care and the mindfulness, the Danes seem to do it effortlessly with Huga. Huga is super ingrained into the Danish culture. Huga is not something they do when they get a chance or when everything else is done. They do it every day. They do it all the time. It's part of their way of life. Now, for over 400 years, between 1397 and 1814, Denmark and Norway were one kingdom. But then they split apart. And the word huga appeared in Danish in the early 1800s. But the word is actually Norwegian in origin. And considering their shared history, that makes sense. Now, in Norwegian, the word huger means to comfort. And I'm sure by now you've figured out that that word huger is loosely connected to our English word for hug. So now it's making even more sense that huga has to do with that feeling of coziness and comfort and peace. It's like you're feeling hugged by the world. Now, let's peel another layer back to better understand Denmark a little bit. Danes see huga in the same way 
that Americans see freedom. It's part of their national identity. It's part of their DNA. Imagine answering this question. Do you feel calm, peaceful, and happy in your life at all times? Well, if you lived in Denmark, a third of your fellow citizens would report feeling that way, compared to just 14% of Brits, for example. In fact, one of the top happiness experts in Denmark wrote one of the top books on Huga. And he says that for most people, the least happy age is between 44 and 46. It's when you have peak pressures for work, family, aging parents, children, and then just an overall lack of time. But here's something interesting. Here's an interesting insight that he shared. He said, people take this great dip down between the ages of 44 and 46, and then they slowly start edging back up. Now, there's one exception to this rule, and that is unless you're Danish. Because, he observes, their happiness doesn't really dip in the same way. Like the Norwegians and the Swedes, Danes are protected by amazing benefits and national lifestyle choices. They have the shortest working hours in Europe. They have gobs of maternity and paternity leave. They have free schools and universities. Their daycares are subsidized. And the state even pays for facilities they call leisure facilities. And it's not free. They have the highest personal taxes in the world at 55.8%. But the trade-off seems to be their happiness. So they have most of their basic needs met, and then they're able to separate concepts like wealth and well-being. So the Huga mindset is founded in this notion that once your basic needs are met, money is not going to buy you happiness. This is really where Huga comes into play. And it's great for gardeners too, because if you derive a ton of satisfaction from being in the natural world, from being around plants and spending time outside, you're probably more apt to enjoy things like Huga as well. So I just mentioned that one of the top authors on Huga is a guy named Mike Viking. And the book that he wrote is called The Little Book of Huga. And he also happens to be the CEO of a Copenhagen think tank called the Happiness Research Institute. And he shared a funny little story in his book about a Christmas day when he ended up in a cabin with some friends. They went on a hike. They were sitting around the fireplace wearing their woolly socks and cozy sweaters. They had the fire crackling. They were enjoying mulled wine. And then one of his friends asked him, could this be any more Huga? <laughs> so that's how they would use it in a sentence. Could this be any more Huga, Mike? And then one of the people replied, yes, if a storm was raging outside. So that was his example of the perfect Huga experience. And then how could you take it up a notch? Well, you're in this cozy cabin You've had a wonderful day. You're totally relaxing with friends. And then wouldn't it be wonderful if a storm was raging outside? So that gives you a glimpse into how they think about Huga. Now, Mike says that there are some key ingredients to things that are considered particularly Huga. So togetherness, good lighting, 
indulgence, relaxation, gratefulness, and savoring simple pleasures. So tuck that list away as we're talking about huga in the garden, because you'll see those elements come up again and again. Huga is such a fundamental part of Danish culture that Danish doctors even recommend tea and huga as a cure for the common cold. Got the sniffles? Go home, make yourself a hot cup of tea and huga. It's just how they do things. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, it sounds a lot like how I want my garden to feel, which is something I've given a lot of thought to over the years. Some days in the garden are tough, and there are weeks where I don't spend any time enjoying time in my garden. I'm just so busy with the kids. But over time, I've developed some tips and tricks for getting some enjoyment out of my garden. And my kids know a lot of these things too. Now, before I forget, I want to make sure to mention a few books that are really wonderful, hoogerific resources for you. Helen Russell is a British journalist who wrote The Year of Living Danishly. That's a fun book because she's not a Dane, so she's very sensitive to the culture. Her husband gets a job in Denmark and she transfers there with him and then writes about her impressions of Denmark and, of course, can't talk about Denmark without talking about Huga. Then Signe Johansson wrote a cookbook and a wellness guide called How to Huga: The Nordic Secrets to a Happy Life. She's the one that uses that term healthy hedonism. So she likes to link huga to food and drink like cinnamon buns and glogs and mulled wine, really comforting foods. And then Louisa Thompson Britz is the author of The Book of Huga, The Danish Art of Contentment, Comfort, and Connection. And she says it's a cure for SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. So try upping your huga if the seasons get you down. She says, it's a practical way of creating sanctuary in the middle of very real life. All right, so you're getting a little more familiar with what huga is all about. Now let's talk about the season of huga. Now, if you live in a northern climate, you are going to totally relate with what I'm about to share with you. People in northern climates are familiar with the whole concept of hibernating. We go into our houses in November and we may not emerge really and mingle among our neighbors until May the following year. I'll never forget the spring that one of my neighbors came out into the street carrying her newborn baby and I didn't even know she was pregnant. But it stands to reason that we probably went into hibernation and she was about three months pregnant or even maybe four months. And then we had a long, cold winter and I didn't see her again until May or June. And there she is and she's had a baby. That's real life in a cold climate like Minnesota or Denmark for that matter. Now, Minnesota is a little bit different from Denmark in the sense that we are not plunged into darkness during the winter to the extent that the Danes are. Because from October to March, 
That's how they live, primarily in the dark. So not only is it dark and cold, but Denmark also has rain about 180 days out of the year. In fact, I read a quote where Mark Viking said that summer was his favorite day, (laughs) which just goes to show how short he perceives his summer to be in Denmark. If you're battling cold and darkness and wet, rainy conditions to the extent that the Danes have to deal with on a yearly basis, you can see where Huga has become so central to their lives. Yes, it's about peace and comfort and contentment, but it's really a survival strategy. They'd go mad without it. The Danes have figured out that the only way out of their circumstances is through. And if they have to go through it, they want to make the best of it. And I think that's the essence of Huga. And I heard this quote, Huga is the antidote to the cold winter, rainy days, and the duvet of darkness. That's a perfect description of what they're dealing with. All right, let's talk about one of the core elements of Huga and how it can impact your garden. And that is to first focus on the atmosphere that you want to create. And again, as I mentioned before, I think for gardeners, Huga is a little bit easier to achieve. Nature sets the pace in Nordic countries like Denmark. That sounds like a perfect fit for gardeners, doesn't it? In fact, getting out into nature is a part of inviting Huga into your life. So just spending more time in the garden is a great first step to enjoying more Huga. But for the purposes of this episode, that's not enough because that's baseline for most of us. We're already spending time in the garden. So that's great. We're all getting some Huga time in our garden. But what more can we do? After all of my research into Huga, here are some suggestions. First, Spend more time in your garden at dusk. Eat supper outside in your garden and watch the sunset. Now, think about this for a minute because if you're a morning gardener or a daytime gardener, this could be a real thing for you where you're just not in your garden in the evening or at twilight. Well, that's peak huga time. In fact, a common huga suggestion is Turn down the lights. So if you were indoors, you would turn down the lights. That ups the comfort factor. That ups the coziness factor. I'll give you an example. Every year, I host a lavish Christmas party. I've done this for 15 years, and we have lots of people come over, and we sing Christmas carols, and it's a wonderful, special, very cozy, very intimate time. But I learned early on after hosting this party, like within the first year of hosting this party, that if I wanted people to sing Christmas carols around the piano, that I needed to dim the lights. Because believe it or not, people are more comfortable singing if the lights are turned down low. And so that's what I do. Every year, I dim the lights almost to the point where my guests can barely read the music. And that's all so that they feel more comfortable singing along. 
Well, in your garden, you can quickly achieve that same feeling of intimacy and coziness if you spend time in your garden at dusk in the evening. The garden kind of closes in around you. You can't see the horizon. You can't see all the distractions that might be going on beyond your property line. And you just might appreciate things about your garden in the evening that you don't notice in the daytime. Vivid colors fade away and structures become so much more prominent. Some structures will cast patterns on the ground. Some of the taller plants and leaves will do the same thing. Some elements in your garden will absolutely glow. Now, if you're doubting this, take a look at a description of a garden tour that happens during the day, and then pay attention the next time you get a chance to read about an evening garden tour. You'll read words like magical, moonlit, relaxed, and luminous. You want to experience more huga in the garden? Go into your garden in the evening. Focus on the atmosphere. Do you have a water feature that you can hear? Can you hear a fountain? Can you hear a waterfall? Do you have outside speakers where you can listen to jazz or Italian or French music? Something to set the mood. Huga is all about creating an atmosphere of coziness. And if you want to amp up coziness in the garden, you can do that by controlling timing, by going out at night, in the evening. The second huga element is lighting. So we talked earlier about how Huga is really a fall and winter experience for the Danes. This is why they've become Huga fundamentalists. It's their survival mechanism for getting through the darkness. It's just part of their culture. They talk about it all the time. And you can't get through a season of darkness without light. And this is where their obsession for lighting comes into play. Since they don't have access to the sun, they have to get it through other means. This is why the Danes are obsessed with lighting. Most Danes know Danish lighting designers by name. They can usually name one or two. That's how crazy they are about lamps. Here in the States, we'll get a lamp from Home Goods or Target or a department store, and we won't really pay attention to the designer of the lamp. But in Denmark, light is so important and design is so valued that they really look up to people who create beautiful lighting. So they know their lamp designers. In that book by Mike Viking, he says that Danes select their lamps carefully and they place them strategically to create soothing pools of light. It's an art form, it's a science, and it's an industry. Mike said he once spent two hours walking around Rome with his girlfriend looking for a restaurant that had hoogly lighting. That's how important that lighting is to their atmosphere, to that huga that they want to experience. And the rule of thumb here is that the lower the temperature of the light, the more huga. So if you think about a camera flash, that's around 5,500 Kelvin. Fluorescent tubes are 5,000. They're terrible. 
Incandescent lamps are 3,000. Sunsets and wood-burning fires are about 1,800. And that's the perfect number for Huga. It's that lower number. Now, personally, I think there's absolutely nothing worse than the new LED lights for lighting outside in the garden or on your home because it doesn't look inviting. You have this blue very cold light on your home or in your garden, some of those solar lights. I can't stand them. And now it makes sense because they're not warm enough. You definitely don't get that huga feeling from blue lights on your house or blue lights in your garden. You want those lights to be warm. Think about cafe lights or think about lanterns. One of the best things I ever did in my garden is I started putting lanterns all over my garden. And one night I had a book club where all my girlfriends came over and there were lanterns lighting the way to the backyard. It was gorgeous. And looking back, it was huga. I had an electrician one time that was helping me with my outdoor lights. I needed to replace the fixtures. And he was telling me he didn't think I would be able to tell the difference between an LED light and a regular incandescent light. And I've been a pretty hardcore incandescent light bulb user for a long time. And I have yet to make the switch to LED. So wouldn't you know... He put an LED light in one of my outdoor lights on the garage, but didn't tell me because he wanted to see if I could tell the difference. And guess what? I couldn't. I was totally floored when he told me that one of the light bulbs that he had replaced was an LED. And he kept saying, Jennifer, I'm telling you, this particular brand and this particular number is a light you're going to fall in love with. And that was the only way he was going to get me to believe it. And so according to him, I wrote this down, the best LED lights are Cree, C-R-E-E, and you want the 2700K warmth. So the Cree LED 2700K warmth. And let me just take a quick second here. I'm going to pop over to Amazon. Let's see how much those babies are here a second. LED Cree lights, okay, and then 2700. Let's just take a quick peek. Okay, so their soft white Cree light bulb, like a 60 watt, is $11.64. And then they have floodlights, which would be $13. You can get a pack of four for $18. So there are a lot of options. You can find them on Amazon. If you can't find them in your department stores, your big box stores in your area. But my point in sharing this with you is that when you're focusing on lighting, make sure it's the warm, the huga sweet spot that you're looking for. And if you do go LED, then go for something that is the 2700K warmth of those Cree LED light bulbs if you go that direction. I stockpiled my incandescent light bulbs for a long time when I heard they were going away. So I'll be good for a couple of years, but at some point I'll need to make the transition over to 100% LED. And when I do, I'll be going all Cree 2700, unless there's something better that comes out. 
All right, the third element to help create more huga in your garden is fire. So obviously, if you have a fire pit or some type of fireplace out in your garden, it's so nice to enjoy that as it gets colder in autumn and even in the winter. In fact, there was a designer that I read about in San Diego who said that there are two key elements to an outdoor room. And the first was a covered area that's out of the sun's glare. So again, creating that cozy factor by covering the space. And then a fireplace. So those fireplaces are wonderful for huga in the garden. In fact, from a huga standpoint, it's fire from an element standpoint, more than water that's important when it comes to huga. You've got that flickering fire that instantly makes your space and the atmosphere feel so much more cozy, so much more intimate, and you really feel like you're in touch with nature when you're sitting around a fire. When there's a little nip in the air, there is just absolutely nothing better than going out and sitting around the fire. And here's something you can do to up the coziness factor even more if you have a fire pit or some type of fire. Get yourself a picnic basket. I have one that's a more vertical basket and it almost looks like it's a messenger bag except it's a basket. And what I do with that is I stock that with all the stuff that we need to make s'mores outside. So I'll add graham crackers and Hershey bars and marshmallows. But then I anticipate what that experience is going to be like around the fire with the kids. And so here's what I do. I buy the little snack size Hershey bars and I immediately take them out of the wrapper. So it's one less thing we have to do when we're sitting outside around the fire. Then I put a scissor in the basket because of course when we're out there we need to cut open the marshmallows or cut open the graham crackers and nobody has a scissor so got to have a scissor in there. I always put a garbage sack in there so that we can collect wrappers or any debris, things that don't work out. It can all go in that garbage bag and I don't have to worry about that. I also include wet wipes because you get sticky fingers when you're eating marshmallows. And I think that's about it, if memory serves. So the key here is that I'm ready to huga with my toasting marshmallows experience at a moment's notice. That picnic basket is stocked and it's hanging by the front door. So in the fall, when we're dashing out the door to quick go have a fire at dusk or at twilight... We just grab that basket and we're out the door and we are having s'mores. I don't have to worry about forgetting to get them at the grocery store earlier in the day. It's fantastic. And all the kids know that's our s'mores picnic basket. That's all that's in there. All right. The fourth element of huga on the list is candles. Now, here's a fascinating statistic about candles and the Danes. The people of Denmark buy more candles than any other country in Europe. So the number one user of candles in all of Europe 
is Denmark. And then the number two user is Austria. And whatever Austria uses in candles, Denmark uses twice as much as them. So they're leading by a long shot. They love the warm, soft, diffused lights of candles to create a nice atmosphere. And again, this supports this whole notion that Huga is who they are. It's ingrained in their culture and everything they do. So for instance, I read this quote where, I'm going to read this to you here, let's see. It says, Scandinavians are just as likely to light a candle at breakfast in the summer as they are at night. They use them in the morning, noon, and night, 365 days a year. Is that crazy or what? But that's the Huga lifestyle. So if you want to up the Huga factor in your garden, candles. Candles are key. Now, there are a couple of times during the year when I use candles in my outdoor spaces. First and foremost, if I have any type of event outside, I am definitely going to be putting mason lights in my tree. So what I'll do is I'll take mason jars, I'll attach string to the jar with some aluminum wire, and then I hang it in the tree, and then I'll put the little votive tea lights in the mason jars. And I buy the tea lights from Amazon in bulk because I don't want to mess around. I want a nice, chunky, votive light that I can get from Amazon in bulk, not worry about running out. I want to have enough for my mason jars, and I want to have enough for my lanterns. So that's how I do it. The other thing is when I buy my candles, I get the box of unscented and they're about 20 bucks. You can prime them. I'm looking at it right now and I can get a box of 72. So it says votive candles, unscented white, box of 72 for wedding, birthday, blah, blah, blah. And I get it for 21 bucks, free shipping. Now, just how important are candles to Huga? Whether you're talking about your inside or your outside spaces, well, they're pretty darn important. Let me give you an example. 85% of people associate Huga with candles. So that's an overwhelming majority. And nearly a third of Danes light candles every single day. Now, if you don't want to light candles, you can get those little faux votives. They do a great job. You even get a little bit of a flicker with those. So if you're worried about kids or fire, you can use faux candles now. They're, they look so realistic, you'll never be able to tell the difference. Now, I find so many lanterns at secondhand stores, at garage sales, at thrift shops, at Goodwill, and I don't worry about them matching because again, if you're going out at night, you're really not paying attention to that. Or sometimes what I'll do is I'll purposefully take you know, a tray full of them, say five or seven of them, and I'll put them on a large tray. And with each of them being individual, each of them being unique, there's no matchy-matchy going on. It just looks right. I've got a staggering of heights. I've got rustic looking ones. I have brass looking ones. It really doesn't matter. All those different tones and textures seem to go together. And the tray really helps unify that. So give that a go when you're putting together lanterns in the garden. You can put candles lit at dusk on a picnic table or on a table outside. 
I have an old buffet table right outside on my front porch, and I can even see the top of it through the window. And it looks so lovely when I put lanterns on top of that, just even inside the house. It's quite charming. Those are the little huga touches that make a big difference. All right, so we've covered the atmosphere, we've covered the focus on lighting, using things like cafe lights and natural lights, warm tones, we've talked about fire and candles. And now the fifth element that we're going to talk about is furniture. From a huga standpoint, you want to have natural materials like wood. You want things that are rustic and organic. You don't want man-made things like steel or glass. Another fun huga trend is to bring indoor furniture outside. So let's say you had a dining table outside and you ran out of furniture, you could go inside and grab your kitchen chairs and bring them outside. That would be totally huga. Now when the Danish design where they're going to place their furniture, they really think very human-centered. So they huddle their chairs together. And just think, if the lights are lower and the chairs are huddled together, you're probably going to talk a little lower. You're probably going to talk softer. So you need those chairs close together so you can hear each other. So you can almost picture this in your outdoor garden room. You've got a fire going or you have lots of candles and lanterns going. You have your chairs close together. You might have the ambience of music or fountains or a water feature of some kind or a fireplace going. The huga factor in your garden is starting to come together. It's starting to take shape. Hopefully, you're beginning to think about your outdoor space, your outdoor garden area where you like to sit, your coziest spot, as you would a family room or your living room or your dining room. All right, and this leads me to the sixth element, and that is all things fuzzy, fluffy, soft, cozy, cushy. We're talking blankets and socks and rugs and throws. So imagine a standard patio or deck. To add a huga element, you would incorporate maybe a soft rug or something with natural texture to it. So not artificial like my green turf rugs that I have out on my deck right now, but maybe a hemp rug like I have on my front porch, or maybe something even more soft, something super lavish that actually belongs maybe more inside, but that you put outside for a special gathering. Texture is a big part of huga. Imagine if you walked in to a patio area that had seating close together, cafe lights, lots of lanterns and candles, and then soft items like fleece throw blankets or fur pillows or even fur blankets, just really going over the top with the level of softness and comfort and warmth. That's huga. You know, up here in Minnesota, the big competitor to Starbucks is Caribou Coffee. And at most of the Caribou's, 
They have these little footstools that they get from humane trophies, and they either look like a little bear or a little grizzly bear. And I loved those guys so much that one year, that's what I got the kids for Christmas. So I got them two little footstools. They call them tuffets at the humane trophies place. But I got one black bear tuffet and one grizzly bear tuffet. They're not cheap. They're $130, but that's what they got for Christmas that year. It was a special gift. And we love those little footstools. We use them every day. They're in our family room. The kids sit on them. We put our feet up on them when we're sitting on the sofa. They are used every single day. But something like that would be super fun to bring out into a patio or a deck just for an evening out in the garden. Something soft to put your feet up on, something unexpected. And something a little lavish like that. You know, one of my favorite projects to do is I'll find little footstools and then I'll recover them using old fur coats that I find on thrift sales. So at Goodwill on Tuesdays, all their fur coats or all their things that are tagged with a certain color tag will be $1.29. So if I can get a fur coat for $1.29 and then take that apart, deconstruct it, and then use it as upholstery to cover a footstool, that is super fun. And that is Huga. It's cozy, it's warm. If you just go on Amazon and you Google fur throw, you can find a fur throw for about $30 on Amazon. And maybe you keep your fur throws or your blankets in a little duffel bag right by the front door. So when you head on out to your fire pit area or your deck or your outdoor space where you're going to be cozy and warm and feeling all kinds of huga, you can just grab that and you'll be ready to go. All right, the seventh element of Huga is simple pleasures. The Danish like nice things. They like their designer lamps. They like their designer chairs. But for them, it's not about consumerism. So the author Mike Viking gives the example of this doesn't mean that you're going to go eat at the most expensive restaurant in town. In fact, people will often say, let's find a place that's a little more hoogly. Some place with that ambiance that's quieter, something that just fits that entire feeling we've been talking about with Huga. In fact, in Denmark, bars, restaurants, homes, even social events are all rated on their Huga factor. So imagine if you're a restaurant that's loud and crazy and you've got fluorescent lighting and uncomfortable chairs to sit on that are made of plastic, that's super low Huga factor. And that's not going to go over well in Denmark. And speaking of enjoying simple pleasures... Another cultural thing that happens in Denmark is people turn off their devices. They're very present. They don't check their phones. They're not on social media all of the time. They like to find their little cozy spots and they read. They love to read books. Books are very hoogly. And they love to play games, which is right up my alley. I love to play cards. So in the garden, how that translates is maybe you have your guests come over and you do a walkthrough of the garden and you're just admiring things as you're walking through. Or maybe you're gathering some cut flowers together to put a bouquet together. 
Maybe you're having an herb party where you've got all of your herbs and you have little samples and you pass them around and your guests need to see if they can identify the herb or the flower or what have you. The main thing here is that you're focusing on simple pleasures. We're talking small, cozy groups where you're actually listening to each other. And that brings me to the eighth element of Huga, our final element before we talk about recipes, and that's the people. You know, Huga is sometimes called socializing for introverts. <laughs> I love that. And of course, since they spend a great deal of time tracking happiness in Denmark, they know that the biggest indicator of happiness is whether or not we're happy with our social relationships. So you can't really have Huga without other people, which means in the garden, we need to invite people to come to our garden and spend time with us. And I can't think of anything more fantastic than the times I've gone to visit my friend's gardens in the evening. And we sit inside their gazebo or we sit by their fire or we sit out on their deck way up high in the trees Cafe lights blowing in the wind, the smell of the flowers, the smell of the herbs, snuggled under blankets with cozy socks on, maybe even wearing our pajamas already. It's wonderful. Those are some of the best times I've had in the gardens of my friends or when my friends have come to my garden. I had a friend one time who would come over in the evening and we'd play cribbage every night out on the porch right by the front garden until the mosquitoes drove us inside. When it comes to entertaining, good huga means that you're a good host. In fact, if you visit a house in Denmark during the wintertime, often you will be offered warm socks and a cup of something hot, whether it's tea or coffee or something mulled. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Now, when I was researching this episode, I ran across a Huga in the Garden event that had happened in August. And here were the elements that they included in their Huga in the Garden event. An afternoon tea, so there's your warm beverage. Pims, which is a summery alcoholic beverage. There was a jazz quintet. They had a variety of different therapies that you could try and enjoy. There was meditation with sand, and then there was an experience with garden plants that focused on aromas and fragrance and the tactile nature of some of these plants. So that was Huga in the Garden for this event, and that was held at the beginning of August of this year. That particular event took place in the UK. And of course, they've been exposed to huga as a term and a concept a little bit longer than we have here in the United States. So keep your eyes peeled. You might see more of that in the coming years. Huga in the garden, comfort in the garden. All right, let's talk a little bit about recipes and then we'll wrap things up. From a recipe standpoint, I mentioned in the introduction that this term healthy hedonism is often associated with huga. 
Because in Denmark, the Danes are not really big into food or diet fads. They don't want to feel guilty about the things that they eat. They like to take pleasure in their foods and their drinks. So with Huga, we're talking about things like coffee, chocolate, cookies, cakes, candies. Oh, and I can't forget cinnamon buns. Cinnamon buns get talked about a lot in Denmark. They enjoy their pastries. I read that the Huga trend is the antithesis of the clean eating books that have dominated bestseller lists for years. With Huga, we're talking about indulging, not overdoing it. We're also talking about slow, simple, warming food. So in Denmark, you'll see things like porridge shops. And so these are places where you'll go to eat and instead of getting a sandwich from Jimmy John's or a taco from Chipotle, you're getting a bowl of porridge. That's got a high hygge factor. It's slow, simple, warming food. And author Mike Viking says, sweets are hygge Cake is hygge Coffee or hot chocolate are very hygge too. Carrot sticks, not so much. Now, cooked carrots with caramel and brown sugar glaze over the top and pecans or walnuts, yeah, that is huga. I'm thinking you're starting to get the drift now. Let me take you through a few recipes that I think would be very appropriate for the garden or some type of garden gathering. The first is serving spa water or water that's infused with something along with ice cubes that are infused. So the example would be to create fruit ice cubes. You take strawberries and then you add them to your ice cube tray and then you can take those strawberry ice cubes, add that to champagne. You can do the same thing with blueberries and raspberries. You can add them to things like sangria. Pineapple and mango freeze very well in ice cubes, and they also do a wonderful job with any refreshing beverage you might want to serve out in the garden. I found a great post by Daisy Orr that was called Tomato Sandwiches Worth Traveling For. Grilled cheese would have a high hygge factor. And tomato soup would be fantastic. In fact, I looked on Facebook, I searched for tomato soup, and the most popular tomato soup recipe by far is for a creamy roasted tomato basil soup, and it's been viewed almost 6 million times. I'm not joking. Okay, here's how they make it. They take a sheet pan, they line it with tin foil, and they put sliced tomatoes with garlic all over this sheet pan that's covered in tin foil. Then they sprinkle that with salt and pepper and roast it in the oven. Then while that's roasting, you take potatoes and red bell peppers and onions, and you fry that up while everything else is roasting in the oven. Then when the onion is transparent and the potatoes are beginning to crisp up, you pour your chicken broth or stock in and then simmer the potatoes until they're soft. And then at that point, you're going to take your tomatoes and your garlic out of the oven, add it to your mixture, top dress it with some basil leaves, and then blitz it with a stick blender. And that's it. Creamy roasted tomato basil soup with a high hygge score. No doubt. 
Finally, there was a great video that I watched that shared some cookbooks that inspire Huga. The first is 26 Grains. This is by Alex Haley Hutchinson. You can get it for under 20 bucks. And here's what it says about it on Amazon. Selected as a book of the year 2016 in the Daily Telegraph with 100 recipes that use wholesome grains. This delicious cookbook spans classic breakfast porridges through lunchtime salad bowls and nourishing dinners. Take inspiration from Nordic cooking and the Danish ethos of Huga. So there you go. Porridges, puddings, things like that, all those Huga type dishes in this cookbook. 26 grains. Then the next one that was recommended was Carnival by Harry Eastwood. These are great winter recipes. They're very hearty, reviving recipes. Carnival being a play on the word carnivore. So these are hearty dishes that you're going to eat after coming in from the outside. And then last but not least, The Modern Preserver by Kylie Newton. This one has a lot of little twists on traditional favorites. It's perfect for right now because the harvest is going crazy. And of course, we have the urge to try to preserve all of this. This book is also packed with ideas for edible gifts, including homemade brown sauce, which sounds fantastic. Finally, the last time I was in my local nursery, Bachman's, they had this book called The Joy of Huga. And in it, they talk about comforting recipes with cozy nights that you can use to increase your Huga. And here are some of the things they include. Cinnamon hot chocolate, roasted chestnuts, fruit crumble, that sounds perfect to me, mulled wine, mulled cider, butternut squash soup, okay, I'm on board, popcorn, that'll make PJ happy, chocolate fondue, you know, I almost serve chocolate fondue at every single one of my parties, so there you go, and then banana bread, high hygge factor there, so there you go. Well, we made it through our list. We're familiar with Huga. We know all about the season of Huga and how the Danes use it to survive the long, dark winter that they have to endure. We've covered the elements of Huga, focusing on the atmosphere, lighting, fire, candles, natural furniture items, blankets with fluffy socks and all things cozy and comfy, simple pleasures, of course, togetherness with others in our garden, and then recipes. We made it. And I tell you what, it's really gotten me in the mood for fall. Well, that's it for our show today featuring Huga in the Garden. I hope you were inspired by the tips to add more coziness and warmth to your garden to make it more Huga-lig, especially as we're heading into the colder seasons of the year. I'm so thankful to my team at Podfly Productions, my editor, Eric Begay, my copywriter, Ein Kadina, and my project manager, David Gregerson. Just a reminder, I'll have all of the generous information that I shared on the show today 
under the Still Growing Podcast page on my website over at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. And while you're there, you can request to join the Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. I'd love to meet you in the group. And don't forget my fall masterminds will be closing soon. So if you're interested in pursuing that opportunity, head on over to my website and click on work with me. I want to make sure that I thank my listener advisory board. These are volunteers from my Facebook group, the listener community, and they include Beth Engel, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works at Griffin, a national brokerage firm and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association. Also on the board is Denise Pugh. Denise gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants and she was also featured in episode 553 where we talked all about native plants and I certainly hope you're incorporating some native plants into your garden this year. Next week, I'm taking a little bit of a break. We're going to enjoy some hygge of our own as we enjoy some vacation time with the kids before they head back to school. We'll be traveling a little bit to see Phil's side of the family and just spend some time chillaxing in the great Midwest. So I'll catch you after Labor Day on September 8th. In the meantime, spend some time adding hygge to your garden. And if you get a chance, share some images of that in the Facebook group and the listener community. Have a great couple of weeks, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a sixfootmama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. 